still have your Bibles open there to 1 Samuel 17. If you look in verse 29, you see where I got the title for the message this morning. David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Now, there was a cause that day, wasn't there? And there's a cause for God's church today, the same way that there was a cause in David's day. We have a cause, a cause that is to be preached, to be believed, and to be defended. Hold your place there and look at John chapter 18. Christ our Savior came to this earth with a cause. His cause really is our cause. His cause was the salvation of his people. And absolutely nothing would make him take a detour from his cause. John 18, verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest, I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Now our Lord saying all this pain, all this suffering unto death, that's why I'm here. That's my cause. And I'm determined to take up this cause. To my, I'm determined to take up my cause. Because my people cannot be saved unless I do. He took up his cause. The Savior did everything he did. He suffered everything that he did. For the likes of you and me. That's a gracious cause, isn't it? Now look at, if you would, Acts chapter 28. Those of us who trust Christ, we also have a cause. Like our Savior, like David of old, we have a cause that we can never turn away from, that we can never quit this cause. Our cause is to trust Christ, is to believe on Him, is to love Him, to preach Him, to declare His name. In Acts 28, verse 20, The Apostle Paul says, For this cause, therefore have I called for you, to see you, and to speak with you. Because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Even when he was in chains, the Apostle Paul was determined not to turn away from his cause. His cause to preach the gospel, to preach Christ wherever he could, even when he knew it was going to cost him. For this cause, to preach Christ to the greatest enemies of Christ that there were in his day. Those religious Jews. Now back in our text, David knew there's a cause. Goliath and the Philistine army, they're defying the living God. They're defying the army of the living God and threatening God's people. Now David was just a young man. He not doesn't have a lot of military training, hadn't had a lot of experience yet in this life, but he certainly knew there's a cause. And he was willing to take it up, wasn't he? Now the whole story of David killing Goliath is a picture of God's cause, the church, the, the cause of God's church today. Now I want to give you that cause in two parts. First of all, our cause is the glory of God. Goliath was blaspheming God. He was defying the armies of the living God. 
He, oh, that just grated on David's last nerve. He hated hearing Goliath defy God that way, to talk about God that way. And the reason David got involved in this cause was the glory of God. He says it over and over again in this chapter. Look at verse 26. And David spake unto the men that stood by him, saying, What should be done to this man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach of Israel? This man is is reproaching Israel. And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He's defying God. Oh, that bothered David. Look at verse 36. David tells Saul, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, and here's why. Seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Look at verse 45. This is David talking to, to Goliath. And David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with the sword and with the spear and with the shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. The reason I'm coming out to, to battle with you is you've defied the name of the Lord of hosts. He says in verse 46, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I'll smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I'll give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And here's why. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David's cause was the glory of, of God, the name of the God of Israel. And our cause today is the same cause as David's cause. Our cause is the glory of Christ. That's our cause. To tell who he is. The truth of the scripture says he is. It's his glory. Now, I know this is a, this is a, a warrior scene. This is a, a, an army, a, a military battle scene. But, you know, we're not to be combative in our cause. Not to be combative with people. We're to be unyielding. Unyielding. We're to never compromise and to never retreat. But we're not to be combative. We're not to take up this cause so that people think, we're right. We're not to try to, to bring people to our way of thinking. Preaching is declaring. It's not debating. It's declaring. It's declaring who Christ is. Our cause is not to vindicate our name. Our cause is to glorify the name of Christ. We want to take up this cause so that people see the glory of Christ and believe on him. That's our cause. We're to preach the truth. The truth of who God is. The truth of who men, men are. Man is. The truth of God's greatest glory. His mercy to sinners. so that Not so that people will be forced to agree with us. So that they'll look to Christ. So that they'll believe on his precious name. We're just to declare the glory of Christ. If some poor sinner ever sees the glory of God's electing love. That God Almighty loves sinners. He loved the unlovable and chose to save them by the sacrifice of His darling Son. If anybody ever sees the glory of that, I promise you this, they'll trust Christ. They'll look to Him and they'll trust Him. See, we don't need to try to convince somebody of the truth of election 
Just declare God's glory. Somebody sees the truth of it. They'll, they'll believe Christ. If someone sees the glory that Christ died for a specific people. He didn't die trying to save every son of Adam. And some of them be saved and some of them be damned. But Christ died for a specific people. For his people. The elect that the father gave him to save. And he completely and utterly saved those people from their sin. And not one of them can possibly ever perish. If somebody ever sees the glory of that, they'll trust Christ. We don't have to try to convince them of, of, the, of the lie of man's free will. Just declare the glory of Christ. If they see it, they'll trust him. They'll trust him. Our cause is preaching Christ to our generation. So they see the glory of God. We're not trying to recreate the past. We're not trying to, to rebuild ministries of the past and have great ministries like the great great preachers of the past. Our cause is to preach Christ to our generation so that people see the glory of Christ and believe on him. You might be surprised how often I quote David in my mind in the morning. I get up, I eat my breakfast, I have a big old cup of coffee before I can get this body started, you know, in the study. And how often I think what drives me there is there not a cause? Is there not a cause to declare God's glory so that this people that I love, that I'm sold out to preach the gospel to, know Christ. Brethren, there's a cause. Our cause is to declare the glory of the Savior in our day. And secondly, our cause is to do that by preaching the gospel of representation. This whole story of David and Goliath is not just a, a cute story that we tell our little ones. The message of this whole story is the gospel of representation. That's our cause. Our cause is to preach the gospel of Christ and to declare this so people know it in no uncertain terms. You may not believe it, but now you're going to understand what I mean when I say it. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is not in any part, any part, ever accomplished or kept by our works. Salvation is done by Christ alone. It's in Christ alone. It's accomplished by Christ alone. It's found in Christ alone. Now it has to be our cause to declare this truth because salvation in Christ alone is the only hope any sinner ever has. And our responsibility that God has given us as a church body is to preach Christ so sinners have a hope. That's, a, that's our cause. The gospel of God sets forth this very simple truth. It's representation. 
Now it's impossible to understand the gospel till you understand this truth of representation. God sees all the human race in one of two men. Either in the first man God ever created, Adam, the first Adam, or in the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. God sees all human beings in one of those two men. And what that means is this. You and I are what our representative is. We have done exactly what our representative has has done. You're not guilty because of what you've done. And you can't make yourself righteous by what you do either. Our guilt or innocence is determined by our representative, by what our representative has done. So if you're in Adam, if you're represented by Adam, then my friend, you're guilty. You're unrighteous. Because when Adam sinned against God, you did too. When Adam died, you did too. But if you're in Christ, if you're represented by Christ, then brother, you're righteous because you've obeyed the law. When Christ obeyed the law, you did too. See, it all depends on who your representative is. You and I are either guilty in Adam or we're righteous in Christ. We're either dead in Adam or we're alive in Christ. And that's the picture of the story of David and Goliath. Goliath, he came out with this challenge to Israel. You send it, I'm the champion of the Philistines. You send a champion out to fight me. That's what he said. Look back here at verse 8. And Goliath stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? And not I a Philistine and you servants to Saul? Choose you out a man for you and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight me with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. Now, seems like a pretty good idea old Goliath has here. No need for all these, these armies to fight each other and hundreds and hundreds of men be killed. The country who will rule is the country whose champion wins this one-on-one battle. No need for thousands of men to to fight and die with each other. The whole war is going to be won by two representative men fighting for their their respective people. That's the message of the gospel, isn't it? You know, this is our cause to preach the gospel of representation. We can never, ever surrender to this idea of man's free will, where man is the one who decides salvation by deciding to either accept or reject Jesus as their personal Savior. That's not true. The truth of the gospel is that salvation is of the Lord and will either be saved by the doing and the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ or we won't be saved at all. We'll be saved by his obedience and by his blood or we won't be saved at all because we're not fighting in this battle. No, it's our representative. Now, Goliath, he represents the flesh, doesn't he? He represents the first Adam. The word Philistine actually comes from the root word that means self. Boy, that doesn't describe Adam. I don't know what does. He just cared about himself. The name Goliath means an exile. Well, that's what we are in Adam, aren't we? We're exiled in shame. Exiled from God's presence in shame. And if we're represented by the flesh, we're servants to the flesh. 
we're slaves to the law. We're slaves to sin. We're under the control, the direction of Satan. And Goliath is like the flesh in another way. This guy is one tough opponent. I mean, he's a tough opponent. Goliath stood over 11 feet tall. His armor weighed 180 pounds. I mean, you think of the strength that it took just to carry that armor, much less fight in it. His spear was 26 feet long. I can't pick up anything that was 26 feet long. And the, the head on that thing, just the head of his spear alone, weighed over 20 pounds. Now you think of the strength it took to throw that spear. I mean, this man's a giant. If Goliath was your enemy, you'd be scared out of your wits just like the Israelites were. He came and every day when he spoke to, to yelled across the valley there at Israel, they were scared to death, weren't they? they everybody's running from him. <laughs> Well, it's no wonder they were afraid. They couldn't go out and defeat this man one-on-one. Goliath is a killing machine covered in metal. I mean, this man, Saul was right. This man's uh, been a man of war from his youth. I mean, he's a killing machine. That's the flesh, isn't it? The flesh is an enemy you and I cannot defeat. It's the nature of our flesh that keeps us from trusting Christ. It's the nature of our flesh that keeps us from hearing the gospel and loving it. It's the nature of the flesh that does that. And we can't defeat it. We can't. Not only can we not stop sinning, it's the nature of our flesh that keeps us from trusting Christ. Now, can you imagine the misery that Israel will live in? If Goliath wins this battle, I mean, the stakes are high. If Goliath wins this battle, I mean, it's just hard to imagine the misery that Israel will live in. But you know, that's nothing. That's child's play compared to the misery that men live in, both now and in eternity, if we're forced to live in Adam. If Adam is our only representative, we live under the condemnation of the law. We'll continue to live under the ruling power of sin. We'll continue to live under the condemning power of sin. And we'll continue to live under the direction of Satan, even as others. Now that's a miserable existence, isn't it? I mean, that frightens me to death. I don't want to live like that, do you? Well, is there a champion who can do it? Is there a champion who can defeat the flesh and deliver us from the power of the flesh. Well, nobody in the flesh can do it. Saul couldn't do it. I mean, you'll notice on these 40 days, Saul never put on his armor and went out there to meet Goliath, did he? And Saul, why'd they choose him as king? He stood head and shoulders above everybody. I mean, this man's a specimen. He's the biggest and the strongest Israel has to offer. And he knows he can't go out there and defeat Goliath. He thought he was a big old bully till a bigger bully came along. He's, he's afraid to go fight him. Saul knows he cannot defeat this giant. And that's this flesh. No man in the flesh can defeat our, our flesh. No man in the flesh can set us free from the power of flesh and the power of sin. 
We cannot deliver ourselves. Cannot. Well, is there a champion who can? Is there a champion who can deliver us? Well, there's one. Now, there's only one, but thank God there's one. The songwriter said the precious, precious Jesus. He's the one. And that's who David represents. David represents Christ, our champion. Let me give you a few ways here from our text. I'll confine myself to just this chapter. David's a picture of Christ in so many ways. We'll just confine ourselves to this chapter. How he's a type of Christ. First of all, David is a type of Christ. He's ruddy. He's of a fair countenance. He's a handsome young fellow. That's what verse 42 says. This is what made Goliath disdain him. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he's but a youth. He was ruddy and had a fair countenance. But you know that David, with his ruddy countenance, he had like a, a reddish complexion apparently, made him a type of Christ. You know, when God made Adam, he formed Adam from the dust of the earth, he formed Adam from the red dust of the earth. His name means red. Well, in the Song of Solomon, in, Solomon, in uh, chapter 5, verse 9, Solomon describes Christ our Savior as white and ruddy. Ruddy. He's white. That's his perfection, his holiness. And he's ruddy. He became a real man. He took on him flesh as a real man. Now that's what makes him lovely. He's both white and ruddy. This is a holy, righteous man. This That makes him able to save a sinner like me. Now this has to be pretty obvious to everybody. If the Son of God is going to be the representative of his sinful people, he's got to become a real man, doesn't he? Because we're real men and women in the flesh. Now what a miracle of God's grace and God's love that the Son of God would humiliate Himself to appear in the weakness of flesh like you and I am. He, the Lord Jesus is exactly like you and me in every way with the exception of sin, with the exception of a sin nature. He was a real man who could be tired, who could, who could be thirsty, who could suffer pain and just like us, he's bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And here's why he did that. So he could be the representative of his people who were in the flesh and do for them what they can never do for themselves. He appeared in the flesh to be our champion. Second, David is a type of Christ because David was a shepherd. Now Goliath was coming out here defying God, defying the armies of Israel for 40 years days in a row well, where was David all that time he was keeping his father's sheep verse 15 says and David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem David was a shepherd and he took this job very seriously his brother said what about those few sheep you know just a few sheep you're keeping David took that job mighty seriously they might, you might just call them a few sheep but they're mighty they're precious to me they're important to me. That's my father's sheep. And David was a good shepherd. You read through scripture, it's never recorded even one time that David lost one of his father's sheep. Not a single one. And that's a good picture of Christ our Savior. 
the great shepherd of the sheep. Just like David, Christ has a flock of sheep that the father gave to him. They're sheep that belong to his father. His father chose those sheep. He made those sheep his and he gave those sheep to his son to keep. And Christ knows every one of those sheep. He knows them by name. He calls them by name. And he's never lost one of them. David was very serious about defending Jesse's sheep from from predators and just fearlessly attacked them. Look at verse 34. David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. I don't know about you, but if I was a shepherd and a lion and a bear came and took one of the, one of the sheep, old Frank would say that's a cost of doing business. <laughs> Just a cost of doing business, you know. When I was at the convenience store, I worked there, you know, people, um, come in and steal stuff. I mean, you try everything you can do to stop them, but you know, people, they, it's a cost of doing business. Somebody takes one of my dad's sheep, a lion, I mean, a lion. Have you ever seen a lion up close in the zoo? Oh, Frank ain't chasing after that lion. That's a cost of doing business. Not David. He he chased after that lion and that bear with a shepherd's rod and just whacked that thing upside the head. So it was a surprise, I guess, and dropped the lamb. And David caught that thing by the beard and killed it with his bare hands. I mean... This is a fierce man. He's a young fella. He's ruddy. He's got a fair countenance, but he's a fierce man. Oh, how... There's, to David, there's always a cause, isn't there? The cause of his father's sheep. Jesse's not losing the sheep on account of David. Wasn't that a wonderful picture of Christ our Savior? He came to save his sheep from their sin. And he gave up his life to do it. He sacrificed himself for the sheep that he loves so none of them would ever be lost. Oh, Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. He'll never lose one of his sheep. He's going to gather them all safely together so there's one fold and one shepherd. Wherever they're at, he's going to find them and call them and keep them in and the sheep, this is, I want us to make sure we understand this now. We're talking about the gospel of representation. We're talking about Christ our champion. The sheep are not kept safe because the sheep get mean enough to fight off the lion and the bear. The sheep are not kept safe from these predators because the sheep get so cunning and so swift that they can run away from and avoid the lion and the bear. The sheep are kept safe because Christ the good shepherd keeps them all by himself. All by himself. Salvation is of the Lord, isn't it? It's all of the Lord's doing. Salvation is the Lord's idea in the first place. And it's all of his doing to accomplish it. All right, thirdly, David is a type of Christ because both David and Christ our Savior went to the battle alone. Look at verse 38. 
And Saul armed David with his armor and put on a, he put on a helmet of brass upon his head and also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor and he said to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took a staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip. And a sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now Saul just naturally assumed if David's going to go fight Goliath, he needs armor. He's got to have some protection against this guy. So Saul gave David the best armor there was in the whole country of Israel. His own personal armor. The armor of the king. And David put it on, but then he took it off. He said, I haven't proved these. I can't go with these. I haven't proved them. They won't do. This armor will not do for this battle. Now that's a picture of the Son of God. His armor is his deity. God can't be hurt by anything, can he? Because he's God. So you know what the Son of God did? He took off his glory. He set aside his glory as the Son of God and became a man so that he could be hurt. He became a man so he could suffer for the sins of his people. So he could die for the sins of his people because that's what God's justice demands. God's justice demands there must be death for sin. Well, God can't die. So the Son of God became a man so he could die. Christ took off his glory as God and became a man so he could die the death that his people deserve. David didn't take Saul's armor and he didn't take Saul's weapon. He didn't even take Saul's um, spear or sword with him. All David took with him to meet this giant killing machine was his shepherd's sling, easy for me to say, and five, five smooth stones. Boy, you can read a lot. I mean, you can find a lot of reading about these five stones. There's a lot been made about them. Five. Five, I know, I'm not big into numerology, but I do know this, five is the number of grace in Scripture. Those five stones, they could represent salvation by grace, not our works. They could represent that, and that's our cause, isn't it? To preach this gospel of salvation by grace, not our works. But you know, as I, as I read a lot about those stones, I thought, well, you know, it really doesn't matter. They took five stones, I mean, as far as I could tell. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what they represent. I guess it matters he took five stones because he did. That's what God had him do. But it doesn't matter what they represent. It only took one stone to do the job, didn't it? It just took one. And here's what I am sure is important about these five stones. These five stones are not man-made. They were made smooth by the water in the brook, weren't they? David took those stones just how God provided them. In the brook, made smooth by the water flowing over them. Now here's the picture. And it's it's very important because it connects everything that we're looking at here in this gospel of representation. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't use anything man-made to defeat the sin of his people. You know, Peter would have took that sword and killed the high high priest's servant, wouldn't he? Peter was, he was ready to go, go to fight. Peter was willing to die in a fight defending his Lord. Now, he wasn't willing to live 
with it. Wasn't willing to live with the shame of the cross and the shame of his Savior suffering and dying. But Peter's willing to fight in the battle. The Lord told Peter, put up your sword, Peter. He told, he told Pilate, I'm a king, but now my king's not of this earth. My kingdom. If my kingdom were of this earth, oh, my people would fight. But the Lord didn't use anything man-made of the flesh to defeat the sin of his people and to accomplish the redemption of his people. He went by himself. It was all accomplished by God. It was all the purpose of God. It's all accomplished by God. It's all applied by God's grace. You see, man has nothing to do with the redemption of our souls. Nothing. Redemption is a payment. It's a payment for sin. You and I have nothing to do with that payment for sin except providing sin debt that's got to be paid for. That's our total involvement in this thing. We're the ones that have sinned and created the need for redemption. And the atonement, the redemption, is the work of Christ alone. That's why all his disciples forsook him. He had to do this alone. Alone. So that we'd see Peter didn't help him in this. James and John didn't help him in this. Christ went to suffer and die alone. The writer to the Hebrews said when he had by himself. By himself. Without any help from men. By himself purged our sins. Then he sat down. On the right hand of the majesty on high. So whatever else these stones represent. I know what that one stone represents. It represents Christ. The living stone. Chosen of God and precious. But here's another way. That David is not a type of Christ. Now they both went to battle alone, didn't they? David won the battle by living. That's the way it had to be between him and the Philistine, wasn't it? Christ won the battle by dying. By dying as a substitute for his people. He died as the representative of his people. So they never would. And he did it alone. Then here's the fourth way that David is a type of Christ. He crushed the head of his enemy. Verse 49. David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in David's hand Somehow that stone went past all that armor. There must have been an open space somehow. And that stone went right past it all and sunk right into his his forehead and killed him. One little stone directed by the hand of Almighty God killed that Philistine, killed that giant. And you see, that's Christ, isn't it? One man, the sacrifice of one man whose God in human flesh put away the sin of all of his people by himself, by his one sacrifice. How many thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of sacrifices did the high priest offer all those years and then put away one sin? But this man, by his one sacrifice for sin, put away sin forever. Now David didn't bring a sword to this battle, did he? You don't need the sword if you got the rock. Verse 51. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine. I mean, 
God, Goliath is so huge, David stood upon him and took his sword and drew it out of the sheep thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. I know Goliath thought when David came out to me, this little ruddy, pretty boy comes out there to meet Goliath, you know, and Goliath grabbed it that spear or that sword and thought, well, I'm cutting this guy to pieces with this sword. Instead, what happened? David took it and cut off it Goliath's head. Now there's a picture there. Don't you reckon Satan finally thought he defeated God at Calvary? When Christ was crucified, I know Satan thought, I've got God now. Satan had worked and worked and worked and worked to make that happen. He worked in the hearts of the Philistines or the Pharisees. He worked in the heart of Pilate. He worked in, in the heart of, of Judas and worked to make this happen. And he thought, I finally got God now. And little did Satan know that the very thing he wanted to accomplish was the tool God would use to crush his head. Oh, he moved and Christ was crucified. He bruised the Savior's heel. But when he was crucified, when his heel was bruised, Christ crushed Satan's head and put him out of business. That's how Christ our Savior took away the reproach of Israel. That's what David was so concerned about in the first place. Who's going to take away the reproach of Israel? Christ our substitute took away the reproach of Israel all by himself, by his obedience and by his sacrifice alone. Now that's our cause. That's our cause to believe him. This is our champion. Our cause is to believe him. Our cause is to trust him. Our cause is to preach him. That's our cause till Christ returns. In glory, we're going to still have a cause, aren't we? But it's going to be a different cause. It, our cause in glory will just be to praise him. Just be to worship him. Because then we'll see his glory face to face, won't we? All right. After we uh, bow in prayer and Isaac sings us in a, in a closing hymn, everybody's figured out we're going to have a dinner to celebrate the zero birthdays of Charlie and Dan and Gavin. I've tried to, to think of uh, something to say to express how important these three men, one of them, albeit young, is to this congregation. We couldn't do without any of the three of you. You're very, very precious to me. And I thank God for you. And Gavin, you finally get your chance to go first through the dinner line. <laughs> you three figure that out, but you, now you got your chance, Gavin. All right, let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, how we thank you for Christ our champion, who by himself has defeated every enemy, put our sin away, suffered and died, that his people might live. Father, how I thank you. Father, how I beg of you that you would cause us as a local assembly to be faithful to our cause, to believe Christ, to preach him to our generation, that your sheep might be called out 
brought to life and faith in Christ, and that your sheep would be fed and protected, comforted and encouraged by the constant preaching of Christ our champion. Father, bless your word, I beg, as, as it's been preached, that we might see your glory and trust in Christ our Savior. Father, we thank you for this food that we're about to eat, the time of fellowship that we're about to enjoy. And Father, I thank you for these three that you've given to us to, to honor and celebrate today. Thank you for Gavin, for Dan and Charlie. Father, I pray your richest blessing be upon them. We pray for your saving, keeping, comforting grace that you be continue to be gracious to them. I thank you for what these three mean to me and to this whole congregation. Now, Father, all these things we ask and we give thanks in that name which is above every name the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's for his sake and his glory we pray. Amen. All right, Isaac, come lead us in a closing hymn.